Welcome to the 41st episode of the ABC Pod, the Adult Book Club with Taja and Russell. This episode features The Book Eaters by Sunyi Dean. Spoilers are between the 58 and 1 hour 40 minute marks. We discuss how we like the original idea of book eaters and mind eaters, but wish there was more emphasis on them and their abilities throughout the story. We also discuss what we think different books we've read would taste like and finish with our usual segments. Russ also discusses his upcoming trip to Rwanda in February, and we've posted the link below so you can follow that to the GoFundMe, which is to raise money for the kids there for their upcoming school fees and day-to-day -day living costs. Donations are greatly appreciated, but we understand times are tight, so even if you could just share the link and get the word out there, that is also awesome. So on that note, let's hear it. Well, Tajay and Russell, they both love reading books. Tajay and Russell, they both love reading books. Well, what do you do when you share such love? Well, you start a club, you start a club, an adult book club, an adult book club, and a podcast. Welcome to the 41st episode of the ABC Pod, the Adult Book Club with Taja and Russell. I am Russell. She is Taja. Hi. Hi. Welcome back, everybody. On this episode, we are featuring The Book Eaters by Sunyi Dean. Excited to get to that. But before we do, it has been two weeks. Taja, what's been going on in the Great White North? Well, it's certainly white in so many ways. Um, but there's lots of snow right now. There's like, I don't know, five or six inches or something. And it's still snowing. It's really pretty. It looks like a slow-mo snow globe and the trees are all covered. It's really nice packable stuff right now. And I'm, I really wish I could go out and make some things and I might do, but Barry's been sick, so he can't help me make a Sylvester, which is a bummer. Cause that'd have been like back to back Sylvester 2022 and Sylvester 2023, like in the same winter would have been killer, but maybe I'll make a mini one on the back deck or something. I don't know. We'll see how it goes. Um, I usually, well, I shouldn't say usually I had last time written notes about the ketchup and this time I didn't, as you can tell. So my parents bowl on a bowling league, which is super cute, uh, seniors bowling league. So it's like all old people. And we had Monday off for Martin Luther King day. And I went bowling with them. Barry and I went bowling with my mom, like before her league play started and they were like, oh, you can be a sub on the team. It'll be great. And I'm too young. <laughs> they wouldn't let you sub, though? They wouldn't let me sub because I'm not 50. But still, older. like, I mean, I feel like it's not like you're going to be there every week. Like, Well, so on. here's the thing. Like, everybody that she talked to that was just, like, a regular player was like, oh, I thought they just said anyone. So they would have probably been fine with it. But... They were playing against this other team who had, I mean, they were all really good players. One guy had a handicap of like 16, which is insane. So comparing, like, um, my dad has a handicap of like 96 or something. I didn't even know um, there's handicaps in bowling. That's crazy. Oh, it's, it's for, they're for real. These people, and they're all cute. They're not all little, like people that my mom was playing against, my, my parents were playing against. The one guy, is 88. He bowled five strikes in a row and is just baller. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was really fun to watch all these old people. My mom pointed out some other guy on a different team that was like 91. He didn't look. Wow. 
I don't know, a day over 75, like good for insane. him. Yeah. yeah. So when I, I told Barry, I was like, can you promise me that when we retire, we'll join a bowling league <laughs> and we're going to do that. Nice. Different time, but uh, Eric, our friend from previous work, he yes. actually was a huge bowler uh, back in the day. Uh, yeah, he he's pulled a, at least one, I think, maybe two three hundreds, uh, and he had oh. he had to stop because he uh, he screwed up his wrist. Wrist so, problems, yeah. yeah. But that was like the thing to do back in in Keene, I guess, back in the day. Or a lot of the people I met at the bar twenty years later would talk about the glory days for sure. I mean, like, I have my own ball. I've had my own ball since I was, like, a tween. And I went to, so this is a not great story. Barry and I had bought a bowling ball at a um, garage sale, which is great. I mean, like, how often do you find that? Plus one that actually, like, fits your hand. So I have that. And I was like, oh, that's great. Barry can use that one and I'll use mine. And I, like, go up to find mine in our in our attic. And I had had the, pl- the holes plugged because it was like child hand placement. And I was like, cool, now I can't use this until I go find a place that can redrill me some holes. Anyway, that's on the horizon, us bowling more frequently. Nice. Um, yeah, it's fun to be like kind of good at something. Like I always get over a hundred, which is like not anything to talk about. That's what I aim for. Yeah, no, come on. League people, but no. for like a lay person. <laughs> um, <laughs> But yeah, it uh, it's it's fun. It's a fun sport, I guess you could call it. It's it is really a sport. weird. There used to be like three different bowling alleys in the area, and now there's just the one. So it's always packed, which is good for them. They also have like an arcade and yeah. an escape room and a restaurant. It's a freaking like you could spend all day there. Yeah. But yeah, that was a really heavy bowling talk. Um, <laughs> that I just went through. Yeah, and I um. The only other exciting thing is when I went to Trader Joe's this morning, I bought a plant, which like I'm not. God knows you don't have enough of them. Yeah. But it's like really cool. That is a really cool plant. Isn't it? It's a bonsai and it just like has really awesome roots and I'm so pumped about it. The episode where Tasha gets the 100th plant for their house. Yep. (laughs) So I just bring them home and Barry takes care of them. It's a pretty good deal for me. That's what what Amanda does. She brings them home and I water them and then she gets tired of them. She's like, I'm going to cut them back or this one, like we should get rid of it. I'm like, I've been watering that for 12 years. So let's calm down about my babies. (laughs) (laughs) Your pets are all the green things. Yes. Yeah. They're easier to take care of than the cat for sure. Yeah. So uh, my two weeks has been highlighted by the, the greatest truck news slash kick in the nuts you could possibly get. So we finally, the part was ordered. The part came in to get a plow frame put on the new truck. We were finally going to be whole, folks. After two months, we were finally going to be whole. And it turns out that uh, GM decided to change their frame for their trucks halfway through the model year on this newest edition. So my truck is one month too old to get a frame for a plow for this season. The new frame or the new plow frame for my frame won't come out until April. So I officially really don't like that kid who hit my truck. (laughs) (laughs) That seems very fair. Yeah, that, that news was broke yesterday. Thursday, uh, Wednesday to me. And I just stared out the window into the darkness for like 30 minutes. And then I came upstairs to the office and I Googled and I shit you not, I Googled 
how to clear snow when no plow truck. (laughs) (laughs) So that went well, folks. Um, But I did talk to a local dealership with snowblowers and I have procured a used snowblower for less breakfast sandwiches than what a new one would cost. So that will hopefully get us through the next three months. It's not where we want it to be, but you keep moving forward. It's all you can do. And basically I would pay quite a few breakfast sandwiches to not have to shovel the six plus inches of snow we're supposed to get today. And then another storm over the weekend. So very exciting stuff going on here. The other big news for us, we are preparing for our trip to Africa, which we haven't talked about on the show yet. And I bring it up for two reasons. One, to tell you that uh, Amanda and I will be going to Rwanda with everyone's favorite jingle writer for podcasts about book clubs, Sully. Uh, This is something he's been doing. This will be his 13th trip. It will be our first. So we are going with him and uh, there are four other people going as well for different amounts of times. We will be there for 11 days and we will be working with Sully and the people he's met there to help street kids um, in Rwanda. There's a home that he's been associated with for over a decade now where they help with food and clothing. And the most important thing is school fees for these children. Uh, Right now, the house or the home has about 20 kids there. The charity organization is called Ubaka Rwanda. That's U-B-A-K-A Rwanda. Uh, It used to be an English charity. And then when Sully got involved, they made it a U.S. one. So it is a 501c. And this is the second. Well, so the first part is our February schedule will be messed up folks so, uh, we're, we're probably only going to get one podcast out in february we may try to sneak another one in uh somewhere in between but we're not sure that's actually going to happen so just so you folks know you won't be hearing as much from us potentially next month the other thing is there is a gofundme set up to raise money for the kids uh for their school fees for food for clothing that that sully has set up i'm going to post that link in the information about this show uh on your spotify and apple podcast wherever you listen to it you'll see that and then i'm also going to post the link on our instagram and twitter when i post about this show so you can donate five dollars that'd be great uh but you know he'll take any and everything and every little bit of this goes towards those kids and and this is again something sully has been involved in for uh he's been going to rwanda for 13 times i think Uh, And he's been involved with them for like the last 10. Every time he goes, he stays with them at this home. So it's not just money going to some some random random charity or random person that, you know, you don't know whether or not you can trust. Uh, This is something that we've seen how they've grown. They used to rent a home. And because of the funds raised through this, they were able to buy property. And then slowly over the years, they built a house and now they farm the land to help save on money. So it is they're, they're growing and they're trying to do their best to help these kids while also becoming a little bit more self-sustainable every year. But it is, you know, because that as kids graduate and move out of the home, they bring in new ones. There, there right. doesn't seem to be um, a lull in the amount of street kids that need help. And then on top of that, while these kids that stay at the home go to school, they bring in other kids off the street to just, uh, you know, they give them donations if they have them, they feed them if they can, they teach them. So they're helping out more than just that 20. So again, it's Baca, Rwanda. It's an incredible charity. It's the one that Amanda and I donate the most to every year because I was just you know going to say that that's one of the reasons that I donate as well monthly. Um, I used to like sponsor a child through World Vision, which is like 
more of a religious bent than I'm comfortable with. So when I found out that Sully was involved with this, I immediately switched and it's been great. Knowing that your money is going where it's going and how helpful it's being and it's not some like massive corporation where it seems like it could be sus. Like the fact that I know somebody who's directly involved and it's such a such a good thing that they're doing. And it is, again, one of those things I've met quite a few people through Sully that have been to Africa for other reasons and also uh, to help him with this. And one of them was a doctor and he was doing Doctors Without Borders. And he mm. talks about how he'll go to different countries in Africa and they'll have an MRI machine that somebody donated, which is millions and millions and millions of dollars. Wow. And they don't have the electricity to run it. Wow. So this is another situation where this money is going to somebody who knew, knows what who knows how to people use need. the money. Yeah, exactly. It's not... He's not spending it on himself and he's not spending it on wasteful things. It's, <laughs> right. Again, most of it is for their education because secondary school there is not mandatory. It's something they have to test for. And then once they go, it's the school uniforms and the supplies and everything else. So it's a big deal to, to try to keep bettering these kids. So yeah. uh, again, the links will be on our Instagram and Twitter as well as uh, on the notes for this show. So if you can Check get anything... Uh, we appreciate it. If you can't and you could share it, that's great too. Uh, it's all about getting the word out for that. And for, again, everybody's favorite podcast about book club, Jingle Writer Sully. So <laughs> shout out to him. Uh, so yeah, so we'll be doing that. Uh, we leave uh, in February, the beginning of February. So very excited for that yeah. coming up. On that note, speaking of Instagram and Twitter, make sure you're following us so you can see all the links and all the fun things and how great we look. So I, I just, just got more to share, of course. I, do, I just remembered because of the things that I did share on our Instagram that like the most exciting crafting that I had been doing recently was making the tiny books, the tiny versions of the books that we'd read for the podcast and the other books that I read last year. It's so time consuming, but it's also really satisfying the end result. Um, so check that out on our Instagram. They do look super cute. So that on Instagram and Twitter, we are at Adult Book Club 21. Adult Book Club, all one word, the number's 21. Uh, and you can see all that kind of fun stuff there. So check us out. And uh, without any further ado, we are moving on to the book eaters. So once again, the book is The Book Eaters by Sunyi Dean. This is the debut novel for Dean. Uh, However, she has written eight previous works of short fiction, as well as some poetry. She is, as stated in the bio and online all over the place, she is an openly autistic author who specializes in surreal contemporary fantasy. So there's definitely a lot of interesting stuff. I will say she's very engaging online, which is super cool. There was quite a few Q&As that she was responding to when people had questions about the book eaters or or her other works. So I do appreciate when authors do that, because even if you just like something on Twitter, it feels like they are connecting with you. And it's like, hey, you know, I put a lot of time into your work. It's nice to get a little pat on the back. So uh, on that note, Taja, if you want to read us the jacket, we'll get going on the book. Out on the Yorkshire moors lives a secret line of people for whom books are food and who retain all of a book's content after eating it. To them, spy novels are a peppery snack. Romance novels are sweet and delicious. Eating a map can help them remember destinations and children when they misbehave are forced to eat dry, musty pages from dictionaries. Devon is part of the family, an old and reclusive clan of book eaters. Her brothers grew up feasting on stories of valor and adventure, and Devon, like all book eater women, 
was raised on a carefully curated diet of fairy tales and cautionary stories, but real life doesn't always come with happy endings, and Devin learns when her son is born with a rare and darker kind of hunger, not for books, but for human minds. So yeah. that was a big grab on this, and I think I pointed this out when we talked about it last episode. At the end, the whole reason this book caught my eye was V.E. Schwab, who we trust, uh, put I Devoured This on the top uh, of the book, and that's kind of what Did caught my eye when, when I saw it. Did you get it? Uh, I saw that uh, when I was in my bookstore quite a few months ago. This has been sitting on the shelves waiting for us. So as always, we start with our protagonist and this time we have Devin Fairweather. Uh, So I was wondering what you made of her in our story. So I think like generally speaking, I appreciated the sort of like strong female lead kind of saying like F you to the patriarchy and like being a woman in the family sucks. And so I appreciate that she was kind of bucking the norm and wanting to, I don't know, bring down those misogynist family, not stereotypes, what, just like the way that everything was so set in their ways. And I appreciated that she was like thinking outside the box. Like, why do we have to be like this? So I liked that. I do feel like I wasn't, I didn't dislike her as a character, but I also wasn't drawn to her aside from the whole like yay lady power (laughs) yeah it's not that she wasn't capable or I don't know there was just like she fell a little flat to me yeah I felt that too that was my first note I I just wanted more from her but I didn't feel connected Uh, yeah it just it just felt like that wasn't happening and it was interesting with the setup of the book how we went uh you know our present storyline and then we went to the after where we start 12 years ago and slowly work our way back to the present not always alternating chapters but pretty close to it and with me for Devin I was interested in the now story I wasn't as interested in the then story and I think it was important to get an idea of where she came from and why she's doing what she's doing but as like the kind of action picked up in the present day every time we went back I was like, okay, well, I just want to get back to what we're doing. And honestly, I I don't know if I just wasn't in the right mood for this, where like, I really wanted a linear storyline. And to not have that was frustrating. And I just felt like there was a lot in there that didn't need to be. And I kind of struggled with that. And I think that turned me off from Devin even more. So like, I wasn't connecting with her right away. And then the fact that it was like, I wasn't enjoying how we were set up in this made it so I was just struggling more and more to be like, to care, I guess, for her. Yeah, Uh, I do feel like the backstory, like knowing about how she'd grown up and, and all of the like shit she had to endure, I guess, was important to like the now, but I feel like it could have been done in like a faster paced, truncated version one back step here's the the whole thing and that would have sufficed I mean even if you'd like I don't know I feel like there's many mediums where the backstory or the past history is on like a little bit of a fast forward like I'm listening to a book right now where this person was trained from like birth to be like a weapon and like we got a snippet at six years old a snippet at set at like 12 you know like that kind of like faster paced version could have sufficed yeah I agree with you and it's interesting you say that because that 
you see that with Devin as well. She was kind of trained from birth as well. Like that's something we learn. Women are very rare in book eater society. So they are brought up a certain way. And we'll get to that later when we talk about their society Mm -hmm. as a whole. But kind of what you're saying, we would then where your book that you're listening to is like, okay, here's six years, here's 12 years. We are more like, here's a specific day 12 years ago. Right. And then here's another specific day 10 years ago. And like, yes, it was giving you information and things and filling in that backstory. It really but slowed things down. It did, especially when like present day, Devin, we see it right off the bat. She's being hunted. There's a lot going on in her life. You know, she's trying to protect her son, Kai. And we also see that he's got a lot going on. So <laughs> there's a lot of interesting stuff that was going on. And I think that kind of also shot it in the foot where it was like, okay, now we're going to go back. So there's a lot of that. It, it's weird to say, but I feel like for as much time as we spent in the past with Devin, we didn't really get to know her. I agree. And I feel like part of me feels like that makes some sense. Only because I feel like the way that book eater society is and the way that women are brought up seems to me like they're not meant to have personalities. They're not meant to be individuals. And I feel like the fact that we couldn't connect to her or didn't feel like we got to know her does make sense and does kind of add to the only now is she figuring out like who and what she is or whatever when she's sort of separated from what she was used to but I mean I still don't doesn't mean that I like the way that the backstory was done (laughs) yeah I agree it's just again like you were saying that that makes a lot of sense they're supposed to be seen as they're very special but not to be seen individually there's like and not to have like their own power or it felt very like American women in the 50s, like, couldn't have a credit card, couldn't open a bank account, like, aren't capable without a man or aren't capable at all except for birthing babies. And then on top of that, you take just the fact that they're book eaters and that makes it so they can't have identification. Like, and that's for the the whole race. They can't have identification. Paperwork is very difficult, which makes travel very difficult, which means you are very isolated trapped. Yeah. With kind of where you're at uh, and you're, well, they do appear human-esque. They have some very stark differences. Physiological differences. That will stand out. And also like if if you don't know how humans act and you act like a book eater, you're going to stand out even more. I just wanted to point out that that was something I thought was really interesting about like the concept of it and the the way that their society was is like yeah you can you can eat all these books that humans have written and you can learn about stuff and society and whatnot but like that's very different from like actual experience (laughs) you know what I mean like it down on paper is not (laughs) yeah and then it's also about how people talk and how people act and all that like you can read it non-verbal stuff like, yeah, you don't but you're really learn that from a book. <laughs> exactly. There's so much that you're missing out that and and it changes so quickly. I mean, every decade brings on new styles, new terminology, new and localities. Like you've got colloquial stuff that I mean, you could probably could probably glean a little bit of that from eating some books from different areas, but certainly not in the the way that we're talking about. Yeah, so that was the other thing aside from the Schwab quote that drew me to this book was the idea of book eaters. I was wondering, what did you think of them as an idea and, and how it was explored? I I loved it as an idea. I think it's sup- such a super cool concept. And like, 
I think that would have been slightly more compelling if it was like a human who could consume books, like not necessarily like a society or a race unto itself, but just like, like a mutation, <laughs> a human yeah. mutation where, where people could, could eat books. So like, how amazing would that be to like gain knowledge by consuming a book rather than reading it, which I suppose is also a form of consumption, but that's not my point. Like conceptually, I thought it was really neat. I did find the whole like mind eater side of things a little odd, like a cool sort of antagonistic presence to the book eater race, but also like not necessarily not fully fleshed out, but like far more gruesome than I was expecting conceptually. I also wasn't sure that I loved the like origin story or lack of origin story of the book eaters and how they left that like very wide open and not answered kind of bugged me. Yeah, it was it was interesting dealing with the book eater side of it. There seemed like there was a lot of really good breadcrumbs that never like led to a fully fleshed out idea kind of as you were saying like they believe that they came from was it an alien was it a god we don't know was this being that they refer to as the collector super cool though like i loved that concept of somebody being like okay i want to get this information and here are my tools to do so great idea but then we don't explore that. So we don't really know what that does or or anything. That That's kind of just left as a thing that I think the collector has mentioned three times maybe where it's like, oh, right. Yeah, I remember that. That's kind of like where they came from, right? The collector there. That makes sense. Um, but maybe. like Yeah. And then maybe. the idea that uh, they've been here for centuries and as humans te- and technology has increased, it's made it more difficult for them to move around, which makes sense, I guess. They they can't write anything, which was another interesting choice with the book eaters. And we touched on that before, where I, where did that come up? Was that like a later edit where you brought that in? And it was like, okay, kind of like, let's make it so she's more reliant on her five-year-old Kai to like send texts and stuff like that, because then she can't write or it makes more sense for this character to have to stick around if the others can't write. Yeah. That was an interesting choice. And that's kind of what, Again, going back to the breadcrumbs scenario, there was a lot of that where it was like, okay, if we cut out some of these and just explored a couple of them more, I think you would have a much fuller picture, a much better idea of them as a whole, instead of just being like, honestly, I just pictured bigger people that were stronger, that that had book teeth, which was like yeah. a second set of teeth that I it's never like really could picture unsheen. or understand. Yeah, yeah that let me take out my book teeth. It's like... Okay, like I picture like those horror things where like they've got just rows and rows of teeth that are gonna... So I was envisioning it like on Buffy when the vampire's teeth like appear. Yeah. That's what I was picturing. (laughs) But I, I, going back to just like the book eater like concept, I think we talked about this before, but like the little bits in the after the chapter heading or chapter number where that character, the human character Manny had been writing a... I don't know what, and not an anthology, but just like observational manuscript. (laughs) (laughs) It's Um, like a history of the book eaters, I guess. Yeah, yeah, I guess that is what it's called. But that stuff where it was like a human's perspective, fly on the wall kind of information gathering and providing where he's looking at it as like an anthropologist kind of thing. That was so much more fascinating to me. And I was like, 
almost hoping that like I could read that book. <laughs> and that's what made it interesting. That's what made it different. That's what catches your eye like that. And I felt like it was kind of, again, just getting the breadcrumbs and it being downplayed and not explored enough. It was really right. just like we were dealing with the story of Devin Fairchild, who or Fairweather, uh, mm-hmm. who had this very shitty uh, upbringing that we'll get into later. And, oh, wait, now she needs to, like, leap to train platforms. Don't forget she's a book eater and they have superhuman abilities in certain things. It just didn't work enough. And I really wanted to know more. Like, that again, that's what drew me to the book. And to have it not be explored was kind of just like, here's a taste, here's a tease. We're not really going to get into that, though. We're going to focus on this story that you could have heard from anywhere, basically, that, you know, just because their societies are fighting, okay, there's some pieces in here that are different. Right. So here's something that I just thought of. And this is partially because the like author's little thing at the back of the book says that she rolls D20. So she likes D&D. I just realized that Devin seems to me like a character that somebody rolled up and has all of these attributes and things going on where you sort of like you roll up your character and then you like put a backstory in and you put all this other flavor in. And I feel like it's a character that maybe like you borderline pick stuff off of like D&D Beyond or out of a hat and was like, okay, this also has this failing or this, you know. Strength plus five, wisdom plus one. (laughs) Right, like she's super strong and super fast and she's got like 60 feet dark vision. Awesome. But she's like, you know, a flawed individual. And like, I don't know, I just feel like it. It feels like a, I mean, it is a made up character, but I think you get where I'm going with (laughs) this, that like it, a lot of times when I'm reading a book, the characters that really like get me are the ones that, or get to me are the ones that I can not necessarily relate to, but that I'm like interested in and I care about their well being, And I like want to know what happens with them. Like with Devin, I was kind of like, it's like, it's the fully fleshed out thing again. That's apparently going to be the phrase of this podcast, but that has to bring you in. You have to, again, it doesn't matter. We read a ton of sci-fi and fantasy. Make it believable. Give us enough to kind of grab onto this character and, and care about what happens to them. I'll be honest, this isn't spoilers. By the end, I was like, I don't really care what happens to Devin. Like, I just, I was I was at that point where I was like, okay, let's, again, I just wish you explored the book eater part. And I wish that took more yeah. effect. Cause like you were saying, they mentioned it in the book. One of them, I think it's Jero is like, I eat more books in a year than a human can read in his lifetime. That's yeah. super fucking cool. Like I eat maps or I eat a train schedule and I have an, I, I know it it's, it's in my brain. Like there's so much more you could explore with that, that it's just meat on the bone that we didn't get into. And I feel like in in conjunction with that was also like the the sort of lack of fleshing out of the the taste. Like when Jero's telling her to read the or she's reading like, I don't know, the glossy pages and he's like, I eat mine with ketchup. I was like, that's fucking hilarious. Right. Why are we not talking more about how things taste? And like, make do book eaters also eat food? I mean, yes, they eat condiments, but like are they also consuming regular food? No, because food for them is books. So how would they know what books taste like? Like, do you know what I mean? Like, it wouldn't taste like food to them because it's like, right. And so, I I don't know. I feel like there was one time when she ate something and the description of what it tasted like wasn't 
food related, which does make sense to me. I think actually maybe it wasn't the taste. It was like the smell that book, booklior or bibliore. Yeah, bibliocor or something. Yeah, great word. Like, (laughs) is that a real thing? Because never heard of that before. And she talks about how the different houses that she's been in, the family's houses that she's experienced have smelled really different, which totally makes sense. And it also makes sense from a consumption standpoint, smell and taste are so closely linked that it would totally track that they would have like a heightened sense of smell when it comes to the books that they're going to eat. But like, as a human, (laughs) I would want to know what this book's tastes like food wise. Yeah. And it was interesting too, at the, at her first wedding, they like had, they like created a tree out of books. Right. And they had crafted some pages to look like apples. And like that family was very much about like, she grew up her the Fairweathers were pretty poor so it's kind of like here you're gonna eat, just eat the book but that they were very right. lavish so like they had like, like shredded, origami and yeah they yeah. were going but they like shredded pages and like dyed it green so that was your salad and stuff like that it was I didn't think of that at the time like if they're never eating food then why would they make all this stuff look like food so that is a good point where it's like again just a an interesting thing that you put in there but when you take a step back it doesn't really make sense because they would never have tried that stuff No, and, like, I guess, like, I could understand wanting to, like, kind of emulate the human aspect of eating, and, like, obviously they're consuming a bunch of books where humans are eating food, that's a thing, so it's not like they wouldn't know how to create this stuff, but, like, like you said, what's the point? The book is your sustenance, why are we making it into something else? And another just reason of confusion there too, because that, as we're talking about that, we do realize that Devin drinks, right? She talks about how alcohol is kind of her numbing thing to deal with what she's doing with Kai and, and getting him to survive present day. She is bringing him people to feed on and we'll touch on my eaters in a second. And to, to live with that, she's drinking a bottle of vodka a day, basically. So unhealthy. <laughs> so unhealthy yeah not like a bottle of wine that'd be a better idea obviously (laughs) anyway but But it is interesting that they they do that because before that what does she drink she drinks ink tea like it's another play on words where it's like okay you're like first of all that sounds disgusting but oh god yeah it makes up it makes more sense for what we were talking about earlier where their makeup when they die as we see, they dissolve into a pile of pages and ink, and that's what they are. So this is something that we brought up before we started recording, but this is, it uh, It all tracks for me right now with this line of thinking. It's like, A, if she can drink, I mean, she does always talk about like throwing up all the time after getting drunk, which like makes sense from a drunk perspective, but also like, where's your fucking stomach if you're just paper? Also, also, where's your reproductive system if you're just paper? Yeah, it did not make sense what? that they would be creating, I mean, they, they have human gestational periods. They bleed they, black blood. Yeah, and But like babies come out. Yeah, but when they die, they become paper and ink. Yeah, I don't, again, it's like, Again, a cool idea, but how does it make sense? And and like you were kind of touching on minutes ago, whatever it was, if this was a human who developed the the ability to eat books, that makes more sense for all of this because then they would have those experiences. They would have the anatomy. It's just an added uh, feature to them, a feat of strength. They can eat books And it would also nice. It would also make some sense if it were like humans with this sort of genetic mutation that like the family, like 
hereditarily speaking, multiple people in this family would have this mutation, like, or other mutations like the mind eaters, like all of that would make more sense to me if it was actually like a human thing. There's so much about the book eaters being their own potentially alien race that like was strange and not enough of, I don't want to say enough thought went into it because that's just rude, but like, I think that it there I had just still am left with so many questions from a like logical how does this work standpoint that I and I it's not necessarily that was distracting while reading the book but it did kind of make the story a different thing for me. Yeah, it just upset me a little bit because again that's that's the interesting part. The book right. eaters are the interesting part and if you're going to give them these abilities and whatever let's fully explain the ability. Yeah, let's go into it. Let's really understand this. And if the two of us just having this conversation for an hour or so can come up with these questions, I can't imagine somebody else couldn't have either. But like you're saying, you don't want to say it wasn't a a fully thought out idea because obviously a lot of thought went into this. A lot of thought. Obviously a lot of thought went into these abilities. It's just you didn't take it that next step where, and again, maybe it's because you're putting them in our world. You think, okay, well, our world is very well defined. Sure. But you're putting an alien into our world and then not telling us, you're, you're telling us how it looks like an alien, but not how it actually works or came to be or whatever. I feel like super cool concept, but it would have benefited from like a devil's advocate kind of conversation where somebody's like, here's my idea. And the other person says, okay, cool. What about this? And then you have to come up with an answer that like actually makes sense. And then that would be, and like, I'm not saying that she'd necessarily have to have like a history of whatever, like that. I don't think that's necessary, but to like leave so many unanswered questions or, or so much just like on the table still was disappointing. Yeah. And kind of one of those questions again is how do mind eaters happen? So this isn't just like a recessive gene. It's not they had blue eyes instead of brown. This is like oh, an entirely different race. Race borderline. Born yeah. Where they have this proboscis tongue, which is just a disgusting. Yeah. Oh my God. That was my first note. The tongue grossed me the fuck out. But they so like, gross. they latch onto your ear, stick this tongue in there, eat Such some of your brain, brain. Not all yeah. of it just a good amount and either you die or you become this kind of mindless vegetable vagrant after that and then you go on with your life so the the, the idea that we saw it with Devin is married quote unquote married basically the marriage is just so they can have kids she's married twice her first child is a daughter a healthy book eater daughter and like her husband at the time is like look at her tongue look at her tongue we need to make sure because that's how they know And then the second baby, the child that we live with throughout the present day is Kai, who is born a male, which is already a disappointment because there's too many of us men, as we know. Uh, But then he has the the mind eater tongue and this insatiable hunger. So what did you make of that? Was it kind of similar with the book eaters where it wasn't as thought out? Or did you think there was more to them? So I do feel like it... I want to say it wasn't as well thought out only in that it's like you're saying doesn't really make sense to me that they would just like accidentally like maybe a book eater and maybe a mind eater will happen who knows roll the dice like that just seems strange to me that they would be so closely connected and so random happenstance but from like a conceptual standpoint in terms of what they are and what they do I thought was pretty cool the tongue, disgusting. The whole like actually eating minds, 
no thank you sounds like something from like a horror or a Buffy episode to bring that back but I mean I honestly I kept thinking about that movie there's one of the Blade movies where there's like some really like oh Blade 2 yeah yeah (laughs) Yeah. um so I kept thinking about that which like I don't necessarily feel like that's the vibe she was going for but that's what was at the forefront of my mind and those things are terrifying they're disgusting um but from the whole what mind eaters do in terms of eating your brain and gaining your knowledge is really neat and i thought it it not married nicely with the book eaters but i think that it made sense like that they would also be collecting if the collector had also made them but that's another good way to collect things and it kind of felt odd to me that like they could write but the book eaters couldn't like I don't know I didn't really I didn't really enjoy that little tidbit I do think that I (laughs) Kai being such a small kiddo but having eaten 25 mines or whatever it is and they're all adults effectively I mean not all of them but He's got this like font of knowledge in his own tiny human brain. Well, it's not a human. His tiny boy brain <laughs> um, that is just like above and beyond what he should have. And I thought that was kind of a cool, like from a character standpoint, I like that he's one but many. Yeah, I did like that too. I thought it was interesting. And I I didn't think this was explored enough that we didn't see more of those personalities come out, mm-hmm. um, especially as... Yeah, they're like tiny little bits. As we learn more and more about mind eaters throughout the book, I expected that to be more of a thing, like thinking back to The Last House on Needless Street, the DID, and how Mm. that would happen where you never knew which personality was going to take control of the body, all that. I expected there to be more of that, especially with a five-year-old boy. Yeah, not a human mind, but still, you know. And now he's got 25 different souls in there. It seemed like that would pop off more. And, mm-hmm. and the fact that it didn't, I thought was a little bit of a missed thing. I, th- I felt like that could have been like comedic relief uh, <sighs> or like, you know, just added something more to Kai other than just him being kind of a burden to Devin as she's trying yeah. to figure out how to survive with him. The other thing with Mind Eaters, the fact that the one family, the Raven Scars, had come up with a drug to make it so they didn't need to eat minds or brains they could eat books like everybody else uh they didn't have book teeth so you had to like tear you had to like cut it up nicely for them baby bird it to them (laughs) (laughs) um but that was the whole point of this book basically there was an an overthrow in the raven's cars uh family and they the 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 ones who took over took all this drug which was called redemption and ran away with it so Devin was no longer able to get it for Kai, which is why he now had to start consuming mines because if he didn't, he would go crazy. And it was like, that was the touching part where like he's starving, you know, she's like, gotta like decide at what point is he hungry enough to- For her to like murder kill somebody. Yeah, to, to keep him going, but also like not do it too frequently because you didn't want to just murder- Leave a trail time. of bodies. <laughs> Yeah. So um, there, there were some interesting parts to it. And obviously the story doesn't work without that. That's the whole point is them trying to find the Raven Scars, trying to find redemption. So again, I, I thought the Mind Eater, another cool idea, but like we've been saying, I just, I didn't understand where it came from, how, how yeah. they could just, ha- it'd be like, and this is a little bit more ridiculous, but it'd be like Amanda and I having um, a baby and it being a dog like that's how different they are <laughs> like it just doesn't make sense to me like that's how I see it a dog who sometimes will walk on its back legs <laughs> <laughs> right yeah 
and uh, and has a mustache, of course. So. Yeah, of course. Obviously. <laughs> so the last thing I wanted to touch on pre-spoilers was the Book Eater Society. This was a very hot button issue for me as I was reading. I was wondering what you thought of it. Um, fuck the patriarchy is what I thought of it. Fuck the whole society. It was just, ugh. I mean, it was so, so painfully misogynistic and like antiquated in general. Um, Again, the whole like women don't have any kind of autonomy or authority or anything. And yet they're so important. I mean, the irony is solid. And like, I liked, I guess, that it was kind of a, not necessarily satire, but it had, um, it has a mirror in normal society, in our current society. Obviously, like, very, an intense version of that. Yeah, I mean, I can fully understand her being disappointed that her kid, her first kid is a daughter, is a woman. Because, like, she knows firsthand exactly what that means and I just the society on the whole was painful to read about I mean just the the way that the way that they treated each other the way that they treated the women the way that they treated humans those that did have a sort of more integrated kind of scenario it was all very nefarious and I don't know I just it was yucky yeah and I think that was another part that just made it harder going back in the back times every time because every time you're reading it you're like holy fuck this is so backwards and just disgusting it was the the word i used for it was antiquated like Mm -hmm. it seemed like they were stuck in the 16 or 17th century where it's like okay this is uh women are things Mm -hmm. um and we're just going to use them and Mm -hmm. because of the book eaters makeup most women are only able to carry two children before they have early onset menopause and they're no longer able to bear children. So they got to take advantage of that. How do they even reproduce in the first place? <laughs> and on top of that, there we see it with Devin. She's raised to believe she's a princess. And the the like you said in the jacket, the women or the girls are raised on fairy tales and to believe in princesses and princesses they're and knights in shining armor. Yeah, exactly. And, and they're not allowed to eat the other books that will kind of give them more any original thought or yeah. anything. Yeah, it's very systematic mm-hmm. in how they are raised and every family does it because they know, again, they're rare. They can only have two children and you like you need a daughter. It's just and they're also a bargaining chip. Like they talk mm-hmm. about how the Fairweathers who have no money uh, and basically they're in this like moldy old mansion. It's a boon for them to have Devin because the child stays with the father, which was another this was Devin's whole plight. So the mother comes, has the baby. The marriage is a four-year contract. She gets three years to raise it and basically nurse it. And then it's bye. And then the mother's kicked out. And if the mother doesn't want to go out on her own, the mother is taken out by force. And that child uh, now becomes a important piece in the future of that family so that they can sell her reproductive rights or money or whatever else they need. And it's just reading that- Women as commodities, not yeah. here for that. Oh, it was just so cringeworthy yep. throughout. And again, like if you're already not in the mood to go back and experience things to experience that, it's like, what the fuck? Like, <laughs> why and to think like, you know, her she her patriarch of the Fairweather is Uncle Ike, but Uncle Ike is really her father. 
So the fact that she calls him uncle, like that's fucked up. The fact that he knows, like that's your daughter, and you're just like, well, still a commodity. Like, how do you have that? And we see it with the other, with her husbands, how they react to her children. You know, um, her first husband is ecstatic; it's a daughter, but he doesn't have a connection with her. He doesn't want to be part of her life. He just is ecstatic because he knows down the line this child will bring him a lot more. Also, not only is it forced marriage, it's basically rape. Yes. Yeah, the the marriage nights um yeah. and their description was also unpleasant to read as Very, the, especially these... with the second husband cuz he's fucking terrible. Well, the second the second husband is just a horrible piece of shit, but even yep. the first husband, it's like he's maybe gentler about it cuz he lets her get drunk and do gives her like drugged up poetry basically. Right. But it's still incredibly It's still not it was still rape. Yeah. Yes. That's like date rape. The other's like forcible. Yeah. yeah. And just the fact Neither that Neither of she, which are good. And, and the society says you're going to that's what you do. That's your yeah. job. And that's all the all the women she talked to afterwards are like you just have to get through the two marriages and then you're allowed to like live in the house and be an auntie and it's like at what point is any of this enjoyable like your life is you, you it's not your life and it's trash and everything they go through i can totally see why devin wants nothing to do with any of that and to society. gtfo the whole yeah. book eater society like and i think that that's part of the whole concept of book eaters not being able to write and be able to like be productive in human society would be like why the fuck would the women's women stick around they yeah, wouldn't yeah. exactly so the other part I wanted to bring up because I have a question based on this is they have, then they also have the knights and the dragons and the knights are sons of the houses that are sent to basically a rigorous boot camp to desensitize them and turn them into these basic bodyguards that protect the families from They're everything. They're like handlers. Yeah. For the dragons and the dragons mm-hmm. are mind eaters that they keep on a leash and they keep fed the redemption drugs so they don't eat their minds, but they use them basically like hunting animals to track down or to keep, especially the women, in line. And we see how they're treated later on where they basically are given- like in cages. Yes, with the They are dogs. Yeah. So my question through all that is what's worse, being a dragon or being a woman in this society? Um, You bring up a good question. And also like, are there any women dragons? Because we've never seen an adult woman dragon, but the first husband was worried that... So they, they, yeah, they did say that it is possible to be a mind-eater woman, but they're incredibly rare. Okay. I mean, like, I guess we've seen, we, hmm, we see some later, but like, are, they're not used like dragons or are they? Like, I believe they are because I, okay. I don't think a mind-eater woman is used. Well, the, the one we meet mentions that they're unable to reproduce and they knew at okay. an early age. So okay. I, I don't think they're able to. Got it. And that is convenient. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I lost track of the question. What did I think of dragons what? in general? And like, oh, who, do you think, who do you think has it worse? Oh, worse. The dragon or a woman? That's tough. That's I think a the, tough call. I think the woman has the worst moments, you know, for that, probably years. But the yeah. dragon has the worst life. Like, there's no, you just have to get through this. Sure. This is just how you are until you turn into paper and ink someday. Like, Yeah, no, that's a good point. And, like, the dragons seem like they have even, even less autonomy. And the women have, like, practically none. So at the very least, like you say, they have a, there's an expiration date on their 
it's still not like they have autonomy, but it has, there's an expiration date on their suffering and that's not the case with the dragon. So yeah, I think the dragons probably do have it worse. And and that's the shitty thing is like Devin, I meant to mention this when we were talking about her. She's delusional in, in oh. a way because of the way she's raised because she thinks that she is outside of the rules. She thinks that they will, you know, if her they, first husband. That's what they want. Yeah, her first husband tells her, you know, just like stay in line and you'll get to see your daughter Salem again. Or maybe you'll get to stay around here. We'll We'll keep you at the house and then. That and feeding happen, women fairy tales is exactly how you keep them naive. Yeah. And then the the aunts and everything else she meets, you know, when she's headed off to her first marriage and they're basically like, just get through this. And then also like, you'll be fine. Not for nothing. Like where, where's my, like, I don't know, feminist, like. Where, where's the strong the- female aunt looking out for anybody else? Exactly. Like, yeah. why isn't anyone being truthful with her? Why isn't anybody like giving her actual advice? Everyone's right. just like, mm, you'll, you'll be fine. We went, we went through it, so you're going to go through it. Basically yeah, systematic. Like hazing, like yeah, like freaking, I don't know. I The society as a whole was incredibly painful. It was very upsetting. And I think that was another thing that kind of detracted from the book. Again, every time we had to go back and then we're dealing with that. And you're just kind of like, what the fuck? Like, how is nobody standing up for this? <laughs> it, was, it was quite upsetting to read. Yeah, so... Before we get to spoilers and continue on with this book, we have your Get to Know Your Podcaster question. This time, I was wondering, if you're thinking back to the books you read last year, one from the podcast, one from not the podcast, or however you want to do it, if you ate them as a book eater and a human who knows what things taste like, Mm -hmm. um, what do you think they would taste like? So I wrote down two, both were podcast books, but... I wrote down that I think the power of one would taste like the best or like the comfort food that I want in that moment, you know, like something that I like a meal that I would love to have, like, I don't know, really ooey gooey mac and cheese or like something that was like pretty much would never let me down in terms of like happy flavors. Yeah, (laughs) Um, that would give you like strength and stuff, build you up. Yeah, it would like it would be a meal that I would want. Like, I don't want to say like death row last meal kind of thing but it would be like it would be representative of the meal that I would like that I would eat a lot of all the time a a comfort meal yeah and then I wrote down that keeper of the night would taste like I didn't have an exact flavor I just said yucky with like an aftertaste that like sticks around and you're kind of (laughs) like um the gift that keeps on giving yeah, like mm. like when you and I love garlic, but you know when you like you eat something that's like really intense and then like it remembers, it lingers for so long and it keeps like coming back to you and you're like I don't I'm done with you. That's yeah. that's what I imagine that that book would taste like. All right, interesting. So I did uh Under the Whispering Door. So I thought that this book would taste like peppermint tea that was just a little bit salty. Um, from the tears that you've definitely been crying <laughs> as you were as you were reading it, and then it'd be like a scone that leaves you with an aftertaste of hope and kind of gives you like the warm and fuzzies after as as you finish that, where you're like, oh, this is that was like a really pleasant meal. I feel like really uh, really okay, and yeah, I had some some emotions, but that's all right. Another one because I didn't know what you were gonna do for the podcast, so I I also did Mexican Gothic. So I said that that one would be very earthy uh, and leaves a weird film in your mouth from like the chalky taste of mushrooms. 
-hmm. and then like kind of a bit slimy texture as well as it makes you want to like sneeze from all uh. the pores that it's releasing as you chew and definitely acts as a minor hallucinogen that you can almost uh. feel like uh the kind of after as you read it the thoughts going to your brain are maybe not necessarily your own Whoa, as that house is taking over you and then for the the non-podcast book, I did A Promise of Blood because I'm just so stuck on that book right now. But uh, I thought that would taste like the harsh bite of gunpowder, which is basically like sulfur taste throughout your mouth, followed by like a coppery flood of the blood. Oh, and then you get like an aftertaste of like a pop and sizzle kind of feeling of like the magic like in the rocks. world. Yeah, like <laughs> pop rocks shooting off. So Amazing. I don't know. I'd be really interested to eat books and just oh God, kind of experience them that way. So uh, maybe that happens when you're like 40, your book teeth come in. I feel, oh, maybe. I feel like there would also be like a consistency kind of thing, less so a flavor. Like, for example, a book like Promise of Blood that's like huge, you'd be like, okay, this is really like dense. And it's, you know, like a when a steak is like kind of tough to chew and you're like chewing it for a long time. Whereas like something less long would be like, light and airy like a little rice cake like uh yeah like an appetizer or something like yeah. that yeah yeah um, a little like is... crostini <laughs> <laughs> just something light and then you talk about that how when uh Devin is spending time with jaro they like eat graphic novels mm -hmm. and how that's a different taste or like when she was bad as a kid she was forced to eat the dictionary which is like an interesting musty thing and like i did think that was that was a nice little display of their power the fact that she would be like this word uh now blah blah here's all your definitions yeah like i did like that moment like when her and jaro first met and they were comparing which version of the dictionary they had been given as punishment eat. i thought yeah. that was pretty cool nice i did too yeah so i don't know don't eat books i mean just, yeah, just to be clear we're not telling you to eat teeth. books but if you do, let us know how they taste. So on that note, uh, we are going to move into spoilers. So this, oh, wait, I have a question. We before are going to stay that. out of spoilers. Assuming that book eaters have, well, if they have a reproductive system, they have uh, an endocrine system and all of that other stuff where like they have bodily functions, right? Do you think that they are all very regular poopers because they're eating so much fiber? You would think so. I mean, yeah, they, we don't get into that because where Thanks. else is this going to go, right? I don't know. That's. Uh... I mean, there's so many questions in terms of like how to even have a digestive system. It's true. I mean, even a paper shredder, there's a lot of leftovers there, you know? Yeah. Right? Like, and is that what they <laughs> excrete? Is like shredded, shredded paper? paper. <laughs> I don't know. Now I have more Ooh, questions, but so I assume I'm going to... I'm going to assume that they all are regular poopers. Nice. We can all assume that. All right. So on that <laughs> note, then, we are now moving into spoilers. We do that with your song. So this is the pot that we're going into spoilers. If you don't know the book, get out. Because this is the pot that we're going into spoilers. It's time to learn what the book eaters is all about in spoilers. All right. If you haven't eaten this book or read it, <laughs> prepared you've been warned so spoilers through the chapters going back in time we learn the truth about how Devin escaped and killed her second husband Matley Easterbrook 
We learned that her brother Ramsey, with his knights and dragons, took her and Kai from the scene of the murder in secret and then spent eight months training them to track down the Ravenscars, a family who had gone rogue and taken the entire supplies of the drug Redemption, which is necessary to keep mind eaters from eating minds. But Devin has her own plans, and during the 18 months that follow, she is able to get back in touch with Jaro Easterbrook, her only friend from her time with the families, and devise a plan to get her and Kai to the safety of Ireland along with Jaro and his sister Vic. The day the knights and dragons are set to raid the Ravenscar's manor, Devin has set up their escape to the best of her ability. She has recruited Manny, a human journalist who has lived with the Ravenscar's for 22 years, to steal as much of the redemption as he can in exchange for taking him with them. She has also talked to Hester Ravenscar and invited her to join them as well, telling her of the coming raid and begging that if she chooses to not join them to at least leave the manor and save herself. But Ramsey doesn't fully trust Devon and starts the raid four hours early before the group has managed their escape. A battle ensues throughout the compound with knights and dragons battling Ravenscars and Devon and Hester trying to get away. While they are being chased, Hester is shot in the shoulder by a crossbow, and Devin is forced to carry her through a maze in order to get to the meeting point she set up with Kai and Manny. When they finally make it to the tower, they are quickly flanked by Ramsey and another knight. A fight breaks out, and Hester is shot again, which causes Devin to tackle her brother and fall down the spiral stairs with him. Once on the ground, the grapple continues, and right when it looks like Ramsey is going to kill Devin, Kai springs into action and latches onto Ramsey, eating his brain and killing him. As she recovers, Devin first looks after Kai and then ascends the tower to find Hester is okay, as the second shot was redirected by her handbag, a gift from Devin, and saved her life. The four of them make their way off the property and to the meeting point with Jero and Vic. The book ends with Devin saying that it can't be now, but at some point, she will return to the UK and save her daughter Salem from the life of a book-eater woman, and Kai telling her that he will join her on that quest. All right, so we learn more about Kai um, as the book goes on and mind eating, and we also get a bit of that from Hester and the Killocks. So I was wondering what you thought of kind of these secondary characters that maybe we didn't touch. Well, yeah, they are secondary characters that we didn't touch on. So Kai, her son, we can touch on Hester, and then because we haven't really talked about her first daughter, Salem, we can talk about that whole situation too if we want. So wherever you want to go. So I'm going to start with Kai. I'm just kind of going to repeat what I said before that I appreciate that he's sort of like a little dude with a lot of bigger dudes. And I don't know if he ate a lot of women. So she did. Yeah, she did say that she tried not to feed him women. That makes Um, sense. It'd probably be more confusing. Little identity crisis (laughs) on top of his already ongoing identity (laughs) crisis. Yeah. But I think that from a juxtaposition of a very small person with like lots of adult personalities inside of him. I thought that was cool conceptually. I think that what you said about linking it to house on needless street with like the DID that, that I feel like could have been explored a little bit more. And it was kind of disappointing that from a fleshing out of a character standpoint, we didn't really get a lot of Kai, which like this story was about him, but not really about him. So I would have liked to have, seen more about the effects of mind eating on him the freaking i ate his daddy scenario <laughs> was like way more intense than i was expecting it to be and i do feel like you know when she tells them the story about what happened 
it made sense, but then it also like made more sense the way it actually happened. And I can totally appreciate the negative side effects that that had to like consume your father, <laughs> which I guess kind of relates to the to Killock and the Raven Scars as well in a sort of different way. But yeah, I think that Kai was a un developed character in that like us as the reader didn't get to fully experience him yeah that's a great way of putting it i was going to say underused because it was to get back to your first point where he's talking about how he's got all these lives and i mean could have the did it was really a neat touch when they're running from the train ramsey tracks him down on the train as they're trying to escape and we learn that ramsey and deviners are working together to find the raven scars but it's secret and then they run off the train to get away from him. And then it's Kai who's like, oh, there's a B&B like a mile up the road. If we just walk there, we can stay there for that. That guy like, I just ate. Yeah, he's like, yeah. you've never been here. And he's like, no, the lawyer from whenever once stayed here. That was a cool thing. I really wanted Very more cool. of those things because like you were. It's what you brought up earlier about how like Devin and, and the book eaters could recall their dictionary stuff. Like, of course, Kai should be able to recall that information yeah and that would have made it so much more intriguing because again you're feeding him adults so they have so many more life experiences like i would have loved to have more of those moments because again it made sense for us like no no we're gonna go over there that or this or whatever like and that was a little bit of what again i think i mentioned this before confused me where like he was packaged as a five-year-old boy but he's got 25 souls in him and he's lived more lives than you and I and 35 other people combined, basically. Like, it was just kind of ridiculous to think how much was in him. And I definitely struggled with like, cause he, she kept being like, he's a little boy who like loves his game boy. And like, I like, have to take care of him. And then he'd like talk as the vicar who was the last victim that we saw him eat. And he'd be like, Oh, Jesus will come down on you or whatever. It's like, or that other was... guy that was like, Oh, I always like to have a logger. Like... <laughs> yeah, right. That was interesting too. Um, but the other point that you just brought up that I wanted to, to make was like, Devin has lived on this infamy that she killed her husband the easter bee and ran away but then she tells the whole story to Killock and gang when she gets to the ravenscar manor and we learned that kai was actually the one who like ate his brain which is really fucked up to think that that was his first kill and they even talk about her ramsey does in the before times chapter where it's like that's way too much for him to consume so they go get a baby and have her like, like down have, again. yeah have Devin like you know put the baby next to him until it's like put your little tongue in the baby's ear so that you can like reset your brain like you were saying so there was a lot of that kind of again interesting and like also as we see because he has he still has the minds of all those people I don't really understand how that would really reset him but um I did think it was a nice little touch to be like oh shit you just had your first eat at like three i think he was at the time and it's like here just yeah. just eat this baby instead and we'll just send it back to the mother all brain dead and whatever well and then there was the time when he like he couldn't speak english anymore he was only speaking yes. polish and then they were like oh like let's find you somebody and let's be singlish to eat and then you can speak again like and again, just kind of cool on the book eater part where Devin is pissed. Like, she's pretty sure that was when they were with the Knights and Ramsey. And she's pretty sure Ramsey did that on purpose. And he's like, just eat a Polish dictionary and you'll be fine. And like, that's, and again, like, you think, like, 
Rosetta Stone cool. or something like that. Like, no, I'm just going to eat this dictionary and I'm going to get it. Like, that's, oh my God. I so... mean, even to like eating maps to be like, oh, I know where this thing is. Right? Like, that's a really cool concept. But the other characters, who was the other one you mentioned? Uh, so Hester, we can talk about her. I mean, we can talk about Ramsey too, if you want. It's basically just any of the secondary characters, Manny, uh, just, just give them their moment in the sun. <laughs> Yeah, so so Manny, I appreciated that there like he didn't just he wasn't just like a human a, a human prisoner that was out of nowhere. Like I appreciated that it was the person that we that Devin had initially like brought to her uncle or whatever. She found him sneaking around the woods. Also like shitty luck, bro. And I loved his the book that he's writing. I would read the fuck out of that. Hester, I liked her but also was sort of like you were too convenient and too fast-paced to be like the whole her and dev's relationship was like too speedy for me especially because like dev is basically i'm not used to having friends all of a sudden now i have this lover and like i don't know that that was annoying i did appreciate that hester's whole like I'm a badass who doesn't have to deal with the typical book eater women bullshit because I'm not a book eater was cool. Good for her. Caused other problems, but yeah. Other problems. (laughs) Killock is fucking bonkers. And the thing that I wrote down was that like, he's a cult leader. Like this whole, (laughs) I find it interesting that he went on like a more religious bent than like a, I'm the collector, not reborn. But like, it was surprising to me that he wouldn't have like ran with that a little bit more. Wouldn't have gone more with their backstory than just choosing the human one. Yeah, exactly. And like Ramsey, I feel like he's a turd nerbler. I I felt like when they were in the backstory, when like they were growing up together, sucks to be him. Sucks that it was her fault that he became a knight, which I feel like is kind of... A, a scapegoating situation um, well we even see also... that we see that at the end after kai eats his brain and becomes part of him he does say that like he would blame uh, ramsey would blame Anyone. her but it wasn't really like the family was already talking about pushing him towards the knights anyway and he kind of learned right. that later on but it was still easier to hold it over Devin. yeah and i just feel like he was also sort of like a product of his situation and kind of a broken dude in that like night training sounds terrible but it's also a far cry better than being a dragon or a woman or a woman (laughs) yeah um i just i feel like none of the characters maybe except for manny (laughs) was i like i want to know more about you yeah that's fair and jumping back to hester first like what you were saying and this is something that bothers me with reading and, and writing and God forbid I ever write a book like that time matters. So mm-hmm. for Devin and Hester to quote unquote, get so close in two like days, eight. if it's that two, maybe three days total where Devin has this whole plan that she's come up with 18 months to save Kai from everyone. And then she's Let's throwing it all away. Basic for Hester. stranger. Yeah. Basic stranger. And then like the whole, just, Everything with them, I thought, was a little forced. And I and I understand that they're both very vulnerable because neither one really has friends. And Hester, her position has obviously changed after the overthrow of their family. Like her brother Killock, who I, I think she might have been twins with, or they were very close anyway. 
like he's completely changed after he mind eats their father and they made this pact that he went it was like okay we're gonna jump off this cliff together and he like straight up did that <laughs> just like go overhand he's like what like, <laughs> i didn't think also, we were gonna do that because you're a like book eater genre man yeah and like what a dick move like it's okay for you to get your tongue like docked but i'm not gonna do that have fun with your life <laughs> have fun with your choices yeah. yeah so like i understood hester's part in it but it it kind of reminded me to bring it back to me as it always should like when i would visit my brother at college i would talk to these guys who were freshmen because my brother was older and he was throwing a house party and they were like i met my best friend here it's like October. You've known this guy for four weeks. He's your best friend. I'm like, my best friend I've known since third grade. Like, we have a history. What do you know about this guy? Well, he fucking, like, we drink together every weekend. He doesn't throw up in my shoes. Like, <laughs> wow, man, your bar's so really far. low. Yeah, exactly. And, like, that's kind of how I felt with, with them, where Devin was just like, Hester is, like, everything to me now. And ugh. So, not for nothing, for sweet summer child Devin has never been out in the world really and when she has been out in the world she's basically having to like slink around and like not necessarily that she's doing the murdering but she's like casing the joint for people to get murdered (laughs) and then having to deal with the aftermath like I can understand that she doesn't know she hasn't gotten close to anyone and doesn't necessarily know how to so somebody that like I think like there was inklings of attraction when they first met at the bar, but then like when she discovered that she's a book eater, when he, she like takes her back to be food for Kai and it doesn't work. (laughs) um, It's like this safe zone. It's like outside of her normal, but it is still within the possible that I feel like made her maybe not think about how it only been two days. Yeah. And again, I get it. Like when you're that high strung for so long where she is like, even though she's working with Ramsey, she's still hunted by the Knights. She's hunted by police because she doesn't do a good job covering Kai's tracks to begin with. So I do get that. And there's that like release of like, oh my God, this is somebody who kind of understands the struggle. And also this is the end of our journey. Like we've been working so hard to come across the Raven scars and now we are like, this is great. I do get that. But again, it just felt like all she's ever cared about is her her kids and now it's like we're there okay i'm gonna throw it away for like and i get that we had to have the action sequence but like that didn't need to happen like Devin could have just been like well i told her and she didn't come pretty simple i also i know i brought this up before but i think it bears mentioning like what the fuck is up with the designer bags (laughs) like why was that I just, I mean, yeah, I get it was like the duest machina in terms of like Hester not dying, saved by the bag. It's sort of like anytime you get, I shouldn't say anytime you get shot with a bullet, but it's like, oh, so convenient. This like Bible that I had in my breast pocket was right here. It saved my life. Um, It was her sister's notebook and spoiler alert, glass onion. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. Spoilers and spoilers. But I feel like that's... That was just like a an eye roll moment. I mean, the whole like, I've just seen this really expensive designer bag in a window. I'm going to buy it for my new BFF slash maybe potential lover. I don't know. And then it saves her life. 
and it was a thousand pounds. Like I can't imagine, like, I love Amanda. She asked me for a thousand pound handbag. I'd really be reconsidering things. Like that's fucking silly, silly based. Spend your money on better things. Especially when you're about to go on the run. <laughs> like, well, yeah. there was 5% of our funds on a cool handbag. We did it. So you mentioned it quickly, Hester docking her tongue, basically making it, that was her and Killock's deal. Like we're gonna, because backtracking the whole point with the families and the whole reason for dragons was they believed that mind eaters can't be left to their own devices. And basically Killock and family, the Raven Scars who have survived, we learn are all mind eaters. There's like 15 to they're 20 of them. They're out to prove them. that they can. And they're out to prove that they can. And before they go out on their own they agreed that like we'll dock our tongues basically so that we can't feed and then people will have no reason to fear us how do they eat well because the redemption they eat the the books okay so like the whole plan was we dock our tongues so we can't feed and we're not hungry anymore So basically we're just book eaters well they're always hungry that's the thing the redemption makes it so they can eat books to survive, they don't have to eat the mines, but there's that hunger is still there. Supposedly, according to society, the hunger is always there for that the mines. That sounds fucking terrible. I agree. Also, um, like, to be like, okay, I'm going to have to take this pill for my whole life. One a day. Like, it's not one like it's not like a monthly injection. Yeah. No. It's like, like really epic birth control, but like <laughs> control. Anyway, I just feel like, I don't know, like the mind eater concept is really cool but then being like okay how can they function in like regular book eater society well they kind of can't unless there's this that and the other thing and she mentions that like a couple of her siblings did it with her but killock killock has changed once he eats the brain of their father because they you know there's a battle to there was a coup and everyone basically ended up eating somebody. And so Killock took down their father. And then he kind of like his father's personality took over his personality. And again, this is another one of those mind eater scenarios where like if Kai has eaten 25 adults. How is he still Kai? Including book eaters. How is he Kai? But Killock eats his dad and, and suddenly everything's changed for him. Great question. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. No, no answers. answers. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. I so, mean, I, I feel like conceptually, like what the coup set out to do <laughs> was a, I think, a, I don't want to say noble, but I think it was a reasonable, a reasonable thing to want to do. But like, how is Hester the only one that's like, um, I don't know about this. And it, it made sense. Obviously, the family wasn't just going to let them go. Like, the Raven Scars were, like, the New Age family, where, like, they didn't send all their kids to be dragons that were mind eaters, so they had a lot more of them. But also, if they were like, we're going to go out on our own, they wouldn't have let it happen. Like, families don't divide. So the coup makes sense that it had to happen. But yeah, it's just the but like the after the math yeah like i don't understand how hester's the only one that's like okay this was a good idea but like we're not doing the thing that we said we would do instead we're getting fucking bonkers like and, and we see that when we have to sit through what killock calls communion which was a lot uh which was basically lot. just him mind eating um a human a person in a cage Yep, in front of everybody, because that's apparently what he does once a week. And everybody, you know, like Devin notes that Manny and Hester are like looking away or like yeah, Manny takes and off Kai. his glasses so he can't really see it. And yeah, Kai's upset. But like the rest of the family, like 
You're, you're telling me yeah, that. taken in by this charismatic cult leader. Why can you not just, this is not what we agreed to. We're going to stop. Exactly. Like, come on, let's just get rid of Killock. Obviously he's broken and we can do what we said we were going to do. Yeah, that whole saga was like, so much yeah oh, and again like i don't know everything it just but how nobody is standing up to him was uh mind-blowing yeah was was another thing so i don't know if there's anybody we missed i guess we could touch on jero because he was a neat oh, yeah. character uh and obviously it's important to her escape and uh, kind of surviving her second marriage her so the other friend yeah um i did really like him me too uh, it was interesting with the easterbrooks how they embrace technology right mm-hmm. so she shows up there for her second marriage and Gerald can see she's immediately uncomfortable because her first husband is at the second wedding and she doesn't want to see him uh and so he takes her to his game room and like the fact that like he has electronics and all that and she's like my family we don't have any of this stuff (laughs) and i did appreciate that like it was kind of a a little bit of it wasn't a nod for them but for me it like reminded me of tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow where like how games can be that escape how games can be so important to somebody and how she was playing Tomb Raider. Shout out my parents from that episode. They did it too. And she like- I've was also like, played that game. So that was fun for me to read. This is a different princess, mm-hmm. you know? Like that was an interesting way of how it worked in her mind and gave her a whole new opportunity or <laughs> avenue to experience uh, stories rather than what she was doing. I also appreciated that she played Final Fantasy as well. Mm-hmm. But I liked that there was- some level of escape for her in that household because that was definitely the worst of the two marriages uh in air quotes because like they were both bad yeah (laughs) i mean they were both terrible but like for her to be able to have a confidant and somebody that she did actually like care about and trust and who was looking after her i did find it and uh bit unnecessary that they even went into his whole like asexuality it was almost like they had to make it so it was quite clear that he had no ulterior it was platonic. motives. Yeah, that it was platonic because yeah. God forbid like uh, a book eater male would help or be friends with a book eater female without thinking of reproducing for the species. I also feel like I was surprised that the family was just like, okay, Jero, you don't have to have any responsibilities what well and that was interesting too about them how she was always given to like the patriarch basically of the household so like i did that was an interesting side of their power struggles like so like is the it always the patriarch gets the... yeah getting getting yeah. the bride uh it, that was a little fucked up uh but i do think that played a part in jero where it's like well you were just another boy like you probably should have been a knight but then by the time they like decided to send him off, I think he even said he was like, I was, oh no, that was later on. But he's like, I'm too old to be a knight. So I'm just like baggage basically at that point. I just feel like I'm not sure what the way that the family of like structure was, like why he was even around. And I guess that's why he ended up going away. Yeah. <laughs> or part of the reason. But like, I also found it strange and that we didn't really ever get enough backstory or information on his sister victoria she seemed like an added incentive for him to get away oh totally but that she was just there and it was like we didn't want to talk about it 
Right. Like, so I got the impression at first that she was like a quote unquote troublemaker, just like Dev was in terms of like bucking the family expectations. And probably she also wanted to see her kids and put up a fight or whatever. And they were like, okay, we're going to send you to this like book eater insane asylum, which is what I was picturing. I don't know if that's (laughs) accurate. And then like when we do eventually meet her, I'm not sure that we were supposed to think she was like all there mentally. That's how it came across for sure. Okay. Because, like, she, I don't know, I feel like she could have been a really cool character. And I just, like, it was just disappointing that it was, like, we heard about her from Jero, and obviously he, like, worshipped her. But then when we do meet her, it's kind of, like, just a non-event, which I felt like was disappointing. Yeah, I think they just wanted her to be a shell, like, kind of, like, maybe another, uh, an alternative to what Devin could have become. Like, if she wasn't bucking the system, maybe this is what she would have been, like, that devoid. Like, Like, we see her, and we also see Devin has the experience with the first wife, uh, or the the bride that came to the Fairweathers, and she's, like, gets that experience, too. So maybe it's just, like, another situation where this was what she could have become, but I did expect more from Vic, because the game room was hers. Like, there was a lot of personality there, but then when we met her, she was like, I lost my kids. Yeah, but then she also, like, stuck up for for Deb and was like, we should do this. And it's like, I just, I got very, like, I don't want to say, like, mixed signals or mixed vibes, but I feel like there was just this, like, untapped resource of her as a character that, I I don't know. Agreed. Agreed. It was one of those things, too, where, like, again, how much time we kept going back you could have used one of those chapters to explore Vic more and, and it would have given us more. Or like, and and I know we've talked about this before with other books, but it, it seemed like the the end chapters or whatever, like the ending, the climax of the story was just so rushed yeah. that like we didn't get a chance to, it's like all of a sudden they're like, everything's done, well, they're done and they, they met them at the car and it's all good and bye. Yeah, absolutely. That that was definitely something. Before we get to the end, I remember the other character I brought up, because we haven't talked about Salem, her first daughter. Oh, yeah. And that whole situation. So her first daughter and her, well, her first child is a daughter in her first marriage. And Devin is like seen as unruly because she's like getting too attached. So the aunts in that first household take the baby away and then the baby's screaming and she's screaming. And finally the father's like, just put them back together. Like I need to do my work. Such a freaking like sixties husband. I need to do work or I have to get up early to go to the quarry. How dare you have a screaming baby? What work are you doing, Mr. Book Eater Man? Who has- I think, yeah, he was in like real estate or something. I don't know. Who knows? It is so, again, the it's fact dumb. that they could have just eaten books about investing or proper fund management, like learn more than yeah. I could learn in a lifetime in a day and just done money better. Like the fact and- that they're like, I work 24 hours a day to be a real estate mogul. Like, what are you doing, pal? <laughs> oh so God. frustrating. But, but that. I can't- so it's fine. They can't write. It's true. Uh, but that whole, the whole situation with Salem was just heartbreaking. Like it the was. fact that Devin loved her so much. And she and, loved, it was such a cute. Yeah. And then she'll never remember. Like, um, I also feel like it was obnoxious that Devin was so naive about that whole scenario. And Jero even says something to her about that. Like you're a freaking idiot yeah. for believing that. And that like, she does it repeatedly and never learns from her mistakes, so to speak. And then, and then I fully suspect that that first husband like used the fact that he took 
Dev away from a party where she had told Salem, I'll be right back as a like mom bashing scenario and probably told has raised Salem to believe that her mom didn't want her and all this bullshit. So even if they do go back and get her, I imagine Salem would be resistant or would have some type of like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I get that vibe because he was not a nice dude. Oh, absolutely. And Devin even talks about her experience with her own mom, how she doesn't remember her. But like, there, it's, it's kind of, her. it's cruel that they like tell her her name. Like, she knows what family she came from and like all of that jazz. But they're never allowed to see each other. And Gerald even mentions like when he's telling her how delusional she is, she's like, you know, even after you're done with your birthing years, when you're allowed to go out to weddings and all that, you're never allowed to go where your prodigy is. Like they keep you separate on purpose. You are never allowed to see your child again. That's part of the families. That's part of the knights and the dragons and how they keep everybody in line, whatever. It's just so heartbreaking yeah and like that i guess that was the closest i felt for Devin. where when she was dealing with that i was like yeah mama bear like holy fuck i I can't even imagine uh, what you're going through and then you see the other side of it where she's like she like gives her first husband way too much credit where she's like oh he like cared enough to ask what she asked for for her birthday like he's really trying and like in reality he doesn't give a fuck about that kid again it's a commodity and, and we see that too with her second when when Kai is born and he's like, I'm supposed to pay to raise a child for three years. That's a friggin' mind eater. Like what a waste. You were a bust. I've lost so much money on this deal. It's like, holy they fuck. It was just so fun. Yeah, right? <laughs> you throw me a truck that can't get a fucking plow put on. What a bunch of dickwads. Yeah, I just the whole like women specifically, but like people as product or people as commodities was painful yeah the society the book eater society is shit yeah fuck that we should burn it down 100 i bet they'd burn real easy i bet they do uh speaking of fire so let's move on to the end you touched on it a little bit and how it did feel brief and well, we kind of talked about that with california last episode too mm-hmm. so um what did you think of the ending as the raid happens earlier and we have the standoff with Devin and Ramsey. So I, f- <laughs> I feel like it makes sense that Ramsey would have like gone earlier ahead of schedule because like obviously Ramsey doesn't trust her, which like for a good reason, obviously. Yeah, totally <laughs> yeah. tracks. Um, but also like Dev, your naivete is showing again in that you were like, Oh, well, I have until this time exactly. So let's plan it like I don't even remember what the original time... It was supposed to be 11. They came at 7. Okay. So, like, when she was like, okay, we're going to meet Manny at 7 p.m. And I was like, you're cutting it fucking close. Like, why are we not not doing this midday? And I just, I was annoyed by the whole, like, we're, I'm planning things. I have, like, a secret Morse code ability with Jaro. And, like, I don't know. I mean, that said, I don't think I would be able to... (laughs) execute a plan that had many parts well either but it was like okay you're the protagonist of the story and you're like really like kind of not doing great I struggle I struggle with these on both occasions where you read a book and I'm trying to just off the top of my head think of one but I don't know uh where like it ends right and you're like okay and that was like a thursday like there's no huge climax it's just kind of like here's our story our story has played out the life continues and sometimes that frustrates me Mm -hmm. Um, as you're reading it because you're like why did i just read that like what did i get like i don't understand 
What did this do for me? And I feel like this book was like, well, we need a climax. We need an action scene. We need a fight. So we're just going to have it happen because otherwise they would just escape and it would be over, right? Really anticlimactic. I do feel like she went really like overboard with the gruesome, like stuff was more gory than I expected it to be. Um, That said, I mean, like the mind eaters and the dragons and the knights, like they're all kind of like scary in terms of their abilities or whatever. And they're like a force to be reckoned with, but like, it just felt like a poorly choreographed final scene of a crappy TV show kind of thing where like the effects are not very good. And like, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like it just, kind of it just got to happen. You didn't like, like they ran through the maze because it was faster than going around. But then when they made it to the tower, Ramsey and the other night had managed to get around, you know, to like trap them. And it was, there were those moments like you're talking about like Killock, who was this like, he did all this stuff and did this overthrow, became this messiah complex, and then what? Apparently, believed he could dodge bullets, <laughs> like, just ran at them from like twenty feet away, and was like, "I'm gonna kill you." And they're like, "No." Like, okay. I get that your tongue is long, dude, but you're not Dargo. Like, you can't. Nice. You can't do the things from a distance. I do think that, like, the Kai <laughs> getting at Ramsey. And like, <laughs> was good in that it was like comeuppance for Ramsey in a satisfying ish way. But I also feel like I feel bad for Kai when he has to do shit like that, especially with like a book eater and somebody who like is related to him. And like, I don't know, it's just like more complex than. For sure. And I did like, I appreciated that that is probably Ramsey's biggest fear, like dealing with dragons yeah. all the time, yeah. getting yourself mind eaten. Yeah, I feel like that's not the way they want to go. But uh, it was did, satisfying. I did like that now a bit of Ramsey lives on in Kai, like, because they do have that little moment where like Kai or Ramsey explains to Devin how like he blamed her, but it wasn't really her fault. You know, that kind of what we touched on earlier. So I was just going to say, now that Kai has eaten Ramsey's mind, do you think Kai is going to have some of the, like, um, night training? Like, Hester, who had eaten whatever relative of hers that was, like, a really good shot with the gun was, like, spectacular. You would think so. That would make sense. I mean, sense. that'd be cool. Like, makes a five-year-old, him, like, fucking ninja. ninja. Makes it more helpful on the uh, rescue mission for Salem yeah. later on. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I did appreciate that in that way Ramsey continues on like yeah. and there were still like those moments you touched on earlier when they were kids were like how he would always alliterate her name you know Devin the dumb or Devin the deceitful or whatever I I did appreciate that and like there could be I forget like Kai even says one of them at yeah. the end right to show that Ramsey's in there Again, something that is really cool that just wasn't explored enough. It was like only when it needed to be brought up, it was brought up. Same thing with Kai being a mind eater. Like, oh, it comes in really handy when like her her second husband's going to overpower her and like he jumps on him and like eats his brain. When Ramsey is going to kill her and overpower and he jumps on her and eats her brain. So it was just one of those things that like, I don't know, feisty and bow, I guess, whatever uh of like this will save his mother but also what is he selling of himself (laughs) exactly but i also like the whole climactic scene like hester hester in the handbag she should have died the fact that i I believe the exact way it was written was the the arrow pinned her to the wall 
something like 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 she looked like a butterfly like a specimen it was like worded that way that i was like oh she fucking dead like that's like through the chest yeah you're fucking gonzo yeah and then whatever a chapter later they're like the handbag saved me and redirected the arrow into my fleshy bit <laughs> Uh, agreed. All of that. I just feel like the stakes weren't high enough if Hester didn't die. You know? Like, it just... uh, And, like, that would have been more, I guess, I don't know if heartbreaking's right, but, like, the one person that Dev is, like, excited about starting a life with or whatever, running away with. And that gets taken away from her. I mean, maybe she was just like, poor Dev can't have any more things go wrong for her. Let's just give her back Hester. But like. Uh, that, that whole scene was honestly the toughest part for me was I just didn't care about anyone. Like they were all disposable. I only like, cared about Manny in that whole thing. <laughs> like, don't hurt I was like, better enough. Well, not only that, but I was like, he's probably the most vulnerable person there. Everyone else has like super book eater, mind eater powers and are like fast and can run like whatever. And what was the, it wasn't that bit. Wasn't there a time when Dev had taken like Arm yeah, that was up. at the train station. She okay. got Hester and Kai and like jumps two platforms to Fucking get Fucking A, man. Like that was ridiculous. Like, what are you? Like, I pictured her like a a more ginormous Brienne of Tarth. Like just or like um like the BFG. Like <laughs> you know what I mean? Like Come something with me, human. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I don't know, like it's one thing for Hester to have like headshot all of those knights and they just like turn into paper and like there aren't bodies. So people could be like, maybe I was seeing things. Maybe like, there was a bunch of books here. I Like somebody dropped their books. Bummer. But like to have a bunch of witnesses see a fucking train leaping giant. Also like she's a giant, like she's tall and everybody keeps saying how tall she is as a tall person. I find that that was like personally hurtful. My, uh, that my, was like the main thing about her. My brother, uh, had a friend from England named Ian. He was over seven feet tall. He came over to the States to play basketball and he would always get upset because people would ask how tall he was. And he would say, do you go up to a fat person and ask how fat they are? Like, That's a- that, that is a very good point. Because we assume that it's like a good thing that you're tall. It's the same thing, you know, go to up to a short person and ask how short they are. Like, because we're like, oh, well, that's. How's the weather okay with there? Her. Yeah, exactly. Well, he did say somebody asked him that and he was drunk and he spit on him and said it was raining. So. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing Here's reaction. I have had so many experiences i mean typically when i was younger i'm probably too old for this now but everyone's like oh you must play basketball yeah actually no i'm shit at it (laughs) (laughs) shit on that coordination yeah um yeah no and i do feel for Devin, where like every first impression with every first husband was oh you're so tall you're so tall thank you i also have a brain they're just like showing their whole like small dick energy by being like i'm intimidated by tall women yes Ugh. Ugh. So on that random sidecar. <laughs> yeah, <note>, sorry. <laughs> uh, did you have anything else in spoilers? Uh, anything else we haven't touched on in this book? I mean, the one thing that I had noted that was sort of like outside of your questions, we already talked about. So no, I think I, I think we've covered everything. 
Yeah, I think we did really well. I did I did just have a little note about the snippets at the beginning of chapters I thought were interesting just because that shows more effort from the author to find those things to like tie in her chapter titles with like obviously she reads. That um, was um, it was a nice touch. It was a nice touch. And actually, like I like we talked about before, the, the bits from Manny's book I found fascinating. But then also there were bits from like real books, like that um Nicertus and but whatever yeah. thing, I like Googled that because I was like, is that a real thing? Did you, is she making this up? <laughs> it is a real thing. And it's a really cool sounding story. And like, yeah, I guess it's one of the fairy tale type things that was her favorite book to eat. But I also think that it's a very like neat little story that kind of parallels her situation in yeah. that like Truman show style, like the environment that you're in is created and curated and yeah i just thought that was a cool little nod to that i also noticed that that was like her twitter handle so <laughs> nice i did not uh, notice that but yeah no i just liked it because i do like when like authors put a quote at the beginning of a book mm. and i feel like that was this on crack where it was yeah. like i have like something and if i didn't i came up with something from kellogg's journal or manny's book that fit the chapter so I did really appreciate that it was just something worth mentioning um because we do normally point that out so on that note we are going to move out of spoilers and we are moving out of spoilers but not away from the book quite yet before we get on with the rest of the show we have to give this book a grade this is your first episode we do this based on a D&D D20 scale. So one is bad, 20 is good. And then we add or subtract a modifier ability uh, characteristic based on what we thought about the book to either raise or lower the score. Uh, this week, it is Taja up first. What did you give this one? So I gave this one a straight roll of eight. I had like kind of given it, I was waffling between an eight and a 10. Because, like, conceptually, I think it's so neat. As we've discussed a few times, <laughs> I think that there was room for a different take or room for, I don't want to call it improvement, because, again, that's kind of rude. But I feel like there's different places this could have gone that would have been more compelling. Um, so I'm keeping it at an eight. And then I'm going to do a plus two for intelligence. And I said, from eating all the books. <laughs> Because I think like from a, well, the books and the minds, I suppose, because I think that that is such a cool idea that you can gain all of your knowledge from simply eating something. Like how (laughs) cool would it be if eating from eating food, we could gain the knowledge of like where it was produced and like how, I don't know. Like it or something. Right. Like some type of like, I ate this apple and I got like a little like snapshot of like, the tree that it grew on or like who harvested it or whatever. Ooh, there was a book or a movie that did that. Yeah. Yeah. I for- oh God, I'll have to try to remember where like they, they've been into something and they could see like the history of it. Like that would be mm. super cool. Yeah. When you think of that, let me know. Cause I'm curious now, but I, like, I, I just, I really have a tip of my hat to the, the concept and the, most of the follow-through like we talked about the the characters left left me a little wanting and some of the the big questions that it left me in terms of like how do they reproduce do they eat actual food do they know i don't know just 
why wasn't it people with a genetic mutation, like humans with a genetic mutation? I just feel like it was not what I expected it to be from the book jacket either. I think the thing that most like threw me at first was that bit where it was like, we don't know if book eaters came from aliens or magic or what. And I was like, hold up, what? And the fact that we never really got an explanation to that, like, where did they even come from? How, how long ago did they just appear? And it gave me like ancient aliens vibes, like (laughs) on the history channel where everything is aliens. Yeah. Anyway. So that's a 10 total. I feel you on that um, with everything. It was interesting for me on this book. I was waffling between an eight and a nine and I ended up going with an eight and we touched on this before. I felt very similar to how I felt last episode with California where I loved the setting of that book, but it kind of fell flat for me from that. Like that's what kept me coming back. And with this, it's kind of the same thing. There was one very solid idea that gave me hope that like at times peaked out as those breadcrumbs happened. That was incredible. Uh, but then other than that, I didn't really love the story. So obviously for this, it's the idea of the book eaters and the mind eaters, if you want to lump them in, but kind of just going off what you were saying, like that, it felt like that should have been more explored. And I felt like that was your original idea. That's what's getting people involved in this book. Right. And to have it then be like, not, is like pertinent which maybe other people will read it and disagree that this couldn't have happened without the book eaters and yes in a way it couldn't but i'm just saying a lot of the story didn't revolve around that a lot of the story just revolved around an antiquated society and a woman trying to break free and save her children from it and it didn't really matter that there were book eaters you know like oh don't you eat train schedules everywhere you go yeah Yeah. i mean well i think that was the first thought and then it was i don't know how to make a whole story yeah i was like i'll write the rest of the story i don't really know how it works and then i'll go back in in the editing process and add that little tidbit about kai and the lawyer's thoughts you know or you know eating a train schedule whatever so i just thought there could have been more to it than that and and it kind of just frustrated me that it wasn't it 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 wasn't i'm not gonna say struggle to read but it, it wasn't as enjoyable as it could have been for sure And again, kind of what I touched on pre-spoilers, like I felt like our going back in time story was too drawn out. And we could have used that, as we mentioned in spoilers, to maybe explore other characters um, or or get more of a present day feel for it because that was the main storyline. That's what we should have been focusing on. And the past was so cringeworthy because the society of book eaters is garbage and all the men are pieces of shit. Hey, let me know if you heard this before. Men are pieces of shit. They suck. They suck. So that should be like um, the tagline of our right. Fuck keep men. reading. Also, men suck. <laughs> right? This has been the ABC Book Club. Keep reading. Fuck men. Uh, <laughs> so for my modifier, I am going to give this a plus one medicine. So Ooh. and my thought with that being redemption. redemption. It's the whole point of the story. We're trying to find this cure all drug, or I guess it doesn't really cure all. You have to keep taking it every day of your life. But mm-hmm. this drug to help Kai uh, live deal with more of a normal book eater life whatever that means so for me i just thought that was an interesting way to give a tip of the hat to that because again it's another thing that made it different the idea that redemption could be made but only one family knew how to make it and nobody else did so plus one to medicine for that so it's a nine overall and as we touch on sometimes with the telling people to read this book i don't know if i would unfortunately like again i liked 
and I gave it a higher score than some of our other ones just because of the creativity behind it. And there's That's a lot great. of great breadcrumbs. That's yeah. another term of this podcast no. uh, and ideas and stuff that I just wish was explored more. But yeah. there's not an author. Let's throw that out there. But there's a lot of letdown, I think, when you're trying to get into this for an original idea and it just doesn't come off. Right. Right. So that's a nine and a 10 for those keeping score at home. Do with that what you will. Again, not an author and judge us however you want. But we're going to move off of this book. And that means we're moving into segments. So with that, our first one is current selection. Taja, what have you been reading, listening to, getting into, doing all the stuff? All the things. So I'm still reading Promise of Blood because it's big, but I'm like getting <laughs> close to the end. I'm enjoying it. I just had to stop and read Book Eaters and then... We've still been watching Voyager, so. Nice. Um, and then my book project, like, obviously, that took a lot of. It did non- look like it took a lot of time. Yeah, I was listening to a book, though, so. Um, and then I've just started listening to a new book that I'm enjoying so far. I can't remember if this is one that my dad told me about or if I, like, found it. But it's called Free the Darkness by Kel Cade. I guess it's a. I think it's a trilogy. Maybe it's more called King's Dark Tidings. Um, And this is the one where I was talking about earlier with like the kid being like raised. Trained from birth. And it's, yeah. And it's it's like the, I'm not very far into it, but like that, the way that that was done was really satisfying because you're not, you're like learning that about him. It was like a montage (laughs) and it was very, it was satisfying. So far it's good. I it like sci-fi fantasy kind of fantasy realm of things um I reckon and yeah I TBD on where we go with that nice I don't know if I mentioned this last episode or not I didn't fully get through re-listening to the episode after I edited it but um (laughs) the first book I finished this last two weeks was The Mountains Wild which was that uh, story that takes place in Ireland that I saved from the dump for Amanda that she had no interest in. And <laughs> that I will give it credit, the payoff, the, the, the solving of the case was impressive. Oh, okay. The, the mystery I did not get right at all. Okay. The book was not though. Wow. <laughs> like, like it had a great, like, almost surprised in a way ending where it was like holy shit that guy okay and even like the there was kind of two mysteries going on and i didn't get either of them right so like they they did do that properly but there was so much throughout the book that i was like eye rolling and like and like i wanted to dnf it but i also like i was it was one of those times where i was like what else are you gonna do just fucking read the book like (laughs) Just read the book. Just read the book. So I just kept reading the book. So I didn't really enjoy it. I did want to know how the mysteries solved themselves. And again, it was like, well done in that stance, but it just wasn't a great book overall. That has already gone back to the dump. So I got it from where it belongs. Um, And then on top of that, I read The Darkest Fear, which was the next book in the Myron Boltar series for me. And I Are you them chronologically, I am. Yeah. So it worked out really well because somebody had returned the next two I needed in the 50, 50 bin. Hey. So it's, it's been one of those things where it's like, as I come across them, but I also have like two on my shelf that like I bought oh, before yeah. I knew where they would fall in this. Yeah. Um, I also did that with Jim Butcher. If like, if I see something for like 50 cents or something like that, I just grab it. So like I'm on book five of mine. 
of no of uh, Harry Dresden, but I have oh. like book nine on the <laughs> shelf because I found it for fifty cents. Same thing with Myron. So like I'm on book seven, I believe now um but i got none of it right uh which was surprising because the last one i did really well on and this one i just didn't so myron is myron harlan is still surprising uh (laughs) me after all these years of reading of course all this time and then the last book i just finished this morning was memoirs of an of a teenage amnesiac by Gabrielle Zevin, uh, who another 50-50 find. Um, Obviously she wrote Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow. This is one of her earlier works. I'm not going to talk about that. It's going to be a future recommendation. So. All right. Yeah. uh, So the 50-50 bin is paying off, but um, that's what I'm into. I'm not sure. Well, I do know where I'm going next. We'll talk about that in a little bit, but before we get there, (laughs) it's going to be random recommendation time. And uh, Taja has got it for this episode. Um, My random rec is one that I listened to. I so after you mentioned this, I saw this. It I went to my bookstore this week and like it was highly um it's Demon Copperhead for those of you non-visual folks. Yeah. It was um highly visible. Like I I don't know the yeah. word I'm saying. Like it was promoted at my bookstore, yeah. I guess. Well, the it's an Oprah book club. It's got a little label on that. So and I didn't know this before I listened to it, but when I just looked up the info on it, it's a retail like a modern retelling of Charles Dickinson's David Copperfield. Um okay. which I've never read. I've so, never read that either. No. But like it's so it's by it's Demon Copperhead by Barbara Kingsolver, who wrote the Poisonwood Bible, which was really popular. I've also never read that, but I've heard so many people say that they love her as an author. She was it was great. It was a great book. The narrator did an amazing job. So it was a really fun audible book. But it's basically like an orphaned kid and his struggles in life. And it's like modern retelling in that it's like in I think it's set in like Virginia or something like that with like the opioid epidemic and like rednecks and like it was just it was a very intense book because it's very on the nose with like current situation and I think it's actually like from a time perspective I think he'd probably be about my age so that was interesting and yeah I mean it was a really well written very fast-paced and amazing narration so I definitely recommend the audiobook if that is a medium you like but I think you should just read the book anyway. It was, it was really good. Nice. Yeah, that is, again, one that I've seen popping up kind of everywhere. Um, so it is good. I do wonder how those retelling works. Like, how does that work? We're just like, well, it's kind of, it's a retelling of David Copperfield or whatever. So like, don't be mad that I kind of stole your story. But also I changed it a little bit. Yeah, like, I don't know. And I was reading something on like Goodreads where they were like, oh, I was going to say spoilers, that it's Dave, but it's David Copperfield. And like, I don't have any <laughs> kind of like any basis for understanding of that story to begin with so for me it was just a story <laughs> yeah i have you ever read any dickens i don't think so yeah like obviously you hear about it oliver twist and uh yeah. the, the, the christmas carol and like i feel like we've heard a lot about his titles but i don't think i've ever actually read any of them no i don't think i have either i, I mean i don't know i think it's one of those things where it's like a classic but like not classic enough to necessarily be part of like your English classes and yeah it feels like it's the new age Shakespeare right Right? but they they force if you want to say that on us Shakespeare in high school we read a lot of Shakespeare we did but we didn't read any Dickens so 
don't know. Interesting. Interesting. Maybe maybe it'll be Dickens in a hundred years that they're maybe, forcing on you yeah. an English class. Who knows? Yeah, he just needs to like wait for his time to shine. Yeah. Like he's gotta, yeah, he's gotta be dead longer before we yeah. start giving him credit. <laughs> exactly. Or like maybe wait for the next ten different versions of a Christmas girl to come out <laughs> on video and then we'll get back to you. Yeah. So uh yeah so there's that demon copperhead uh like i said it's all over the place that's one that definitely has been popping off the charts for books Mm -hmm. as the youths totally definitely say anyway so before we say goodbye to you again once again you're welcome for keeping it under three hours we have what's on the next podcast and folks it's going to be a surprise so as mentioned before uh february is going to be a bit of a shite show for us we're going to record one episode at the end of february because uh, I'll be in Africa and then Taja is having a family trip down to New Jersey uh, on another weekend. So you only get one. What we're going to try to do is a surprise, not such a surprise. It's a surprise drop of an episode next week. Shout out Popstar. Anyway. What it, we're gonna, but now it's not a surprise because well, I just told you. It's a, in Popstar, the Lonely Island movie. He's like, we're going to surprise drop that music video next Thursday at noon. Sorry, did not it's get all that right. right. Sully probably would be the only person to get that right. <laughs> anyway, so what we're going to attempt is to read The Glass Hotel uh, by Emily St. John Mandel and bring that to you next week. However, Taja has a jobby job that has been very bonkers lately and may not be able to do that. So if she is not, we have always said that first and foremost, this podcast is not a job. It is not a responsibility for us. We just want it to be fun and we hope fun. that you enjoy listening to it. So... If it doesn't happen, it won't happen. If it does happen, you will get an extra episode. You're welcome. TBD. (laughs) If that does not happen, the next time you hear from us will be late February. And for good reason, we're going to bring you a big book. We're taking that time. We're using it wisely. And we're going to cover the Priory of the Orange Tree, uh, which is like an 800-page fantasy book that without that time, we would not be able to cover it in a usual two-week span. Yeah, like uh, Eye of the World. (laughs) Yeah, like Eye of the World, basically. Exactly. So, folks, the next time you hear from us, no matter what, well... No. So we'll have read a book and we'll talk about it. (laughs) There it is. I like immediately backed myself into a corner there. So (laughs) no matter what, you'll be getting the Priory of the Orange Tree at the end of February. Yes. You may get a bonus episode. You may not. We'll do our best. But again, it's not a jobby job, folks. We just come here to drink and talk. So on that note, maybe we'll see you sooner than later. But for now, this has been the ABC Pod, the Adult Book Club with Taja and Russell. Keep reading. reading.